welcome to episode 8 of Paint by Murders. I'm your host, narrator, and author, M. Travis DiNicola. Paint by Murders is an original mystery novel. It's the first in a series of Harrisburg Homicide Mysteries. In the last episode, Keith was taken to the police station where he was interviewed by Detective Albert Henry. The detective shares that there is a blurry video of the attack on Jane, which excludes Keith as a suspect, but doesn't give them much more to go with. Ginger, however, is furious that Keith was interrogated at all. Keith returns the next day to the station to help provide more information about Jane and finds out that Trevor may be a suspect. Each episode of this podcast, dropping once a week, will feature subsequent installments from the novel. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoy the story. Chapter 22. As Detective Henry ended the official interview, he told Keith that it sounded like he really cared about Jane. Leaving the station, Keith realized that he did. He had been in her company just three times, but she had become dear to him. She was a friend. He walked home, napped in his easy chair, and then went over to the river room. Nothing quite like this had happened to Keith before. He needed a drink and someone to talk to and was glad to see Michael behind the bar. Though he was working, Michael joined Keith in having a drink. It was bourbon for both of them. I can't believe that she's gone, and that you found her. Probably everyone in town had read about it online or heard about it from neighbors. Keith was afraid that he would always now be known as the painter who found Jane. Michael finished off his drink quickly. I I just don't get it. Why would anyone want to hurt Jane? Everyone who met Jane adored her. If it was up to Jane, she eventually would have met everyone in town. I mean, what was it Yates said? There are no strangers here, only friends you haven't met. That was Jane. So so what did the police say about the video? They must be able to see something. You would think so, but it doesn't look like it, Keith said, impressed that the bartender was quoting Yates. Michael was a complicated dude. Keith realized he didn't know much about him. Apparently, there's something like two dozen surveillance cameras in the store, at least one or two in every room of the basement, plus all the ones on the other floors. I guess they're mainly there to deter people from shoplifting, you know, because you never know if someone's monitoring them or not. Anyway, with, with that many cameras, I guess they'd need to have a whole room of computers or a crazy amount of cloud space to store any high quality video for any length of time. From what Henry would tell me, it sounds like they set the record function to the economy setting, so everything is choppy and pixelated, making it really hard to identify anyone. Keith took a big sip of his bourbon. They showed me the tape of me finding Jane, and if I didn't know it was me, I'm not sure I would have recognized myself. Did they show you when Jane, you know... No, they wouldn't show me that part, and I'm glad I didn't see it, but they said that All they could really see was a black blur hitting Jane and then taking off after Jane fell. Apparently, the murderer went right past me, two rows of books over, to escape, and then up the stairs and right out the front door. It was still hard for Keith to believe that he was that close to a murder, and a murderer. The emotions were still hitting him in waves and probably would be for a long time. But they got nothing good on tape? Michael sounded disgusted. Not much. A small black blur was how Henry described it. All in black, could be a woman or a man. At least they know it wasn't you, Michael raised his glass. Yep, Keith half-heartedly agreed. He could still feel the intensity of Detective Henry's gaze. Even though he hadn't done anything wrong, he still felt guilty somehow. The two men toasted their glasses. Michael was noticeably upset, too. Keith could tell it would never make sense to him. 
Why would anyone want to kill Jane? Keith had been turning that same question in his mind all day. That's really the question, isn't it? I can't stop thinking about it. I mean, it clearly wasn't an accident. It wasn't a robbery. It it seems too weird to be random, like some serial killer waiting in the bookstore for an easy victim. That just seems so unlikely. And I, I can't imagine it was some crime of passion. I mean, how could anyone be that angry at Jane? Well, said Michael, I read a lot of mysteries. And the question the detective always asks is who benefits from the death. See what I mean? Michael gave Keith a knowing look. Keith knew there had to be a motive. He just couldn't see what it could be. You mean, who inherits? I mean, I don't think anyone. She told Ginger and me that when she died, she was going to have her house and all of her art auctioned off to go to some charity that protects the birds on the Susquehanna. The bartender looked skeptical. She told you that? When? That seems random. Keith heard doubt in Michael's voice, and that worried him. He wanted his new friend to believe him even more than he needed the police to believe him. I know, it sounds weird, but it's true. I mean, Ginger and I were at her house, and she was showing off her art collection. You know, she's got some great stuff, worth maybe a million, maybe more. We didn't see everything. Now Michael was surprised and interrupted. Damn, a million bucks in art? I knew she had a lot, but that's a lot more than I would have guessed. Plus, that house is probably worth close to a million, being one of the few right on the river that hasn't been turned into offices. And who knows what else she's tucked away. That's a lot to give to the birds. Trevor must be pissed. It sounded to Keith like the doubt was gone. He sipped his bourbon. Well, that's the thing, said Keith. I don't think Trevor knows. When we were talking to her, she laughed about how her nephew was going to be surprised when he found out he wasn't getting everything. She said they weren't that close and that the only reason he visited was to remind her to keep him in the will, so she hasn't told him. Keith started wondering if he was saying too much to the bartender. He was telling Michael things he had left out when talking with Detective Henry. The bourbon must be getting to him, but it tasted especially good after the day Keith had. He had to be careful, though. Michael may be a friend, but could he trust him? Did you tell the police that? No. Michael nodded in approval and said, It was probably a good idea not to tell them that yet, but yeah. That sounds like Trevor. So he is going to be surprised and pissed. Pretty much. How would Trevor take it? Keith worried about how stable the young man was. Do you know much about their family? Probably not a lot more than you, said the bartender as he poured Keith another bourbon. Jane started coming in here maybe ten years ago or so, after her husband died. I think she was just feeling lonely, you know. She would come in late afternoon, maybe once a week or so, have a gin tonic, and talk the ear off of whoever happened to be sitting here, wanting to know everything about them, giving them the fifth degree like she did with you. But she didn't talk about her own family that much. I only realized a few months ago that Trevor was even related to her. Did you ever meet her husband? Keith knew he needed to go slow on the bourbon and really listen. He was glad that Michael was being so chatty. I don't think so. I mean, I don't think so. I mean, I knew who he was. I mean, pretty much everyone in town did, I would guess. Big, important banker turned nude photographer with a house on Front Street. Everyone loved the story of this guy that came off so conservative during his career, going so bohemian when he retires. It was a big deal around here when he died. I heard the funeral service was packed, everyone in black, but suits and ties on one side and black turtlenecks on the other. Bankers and artists, I guess guess Jane's funeral will be the same. Keith asked Michael if he had heard any details about the funeral. The bartender said he hadn't yet. They both stopped talking for a bit while thinking about Jane's funeral. Keith decided to try to change the subject. Did you know she had a room in her house filled top to bottom with nothing else but nude photographs he took? 
As soon as he said this, he felt as if he shouldn't have. It was the bourbon talking. Keith realized he was gossiping about the dead. Oh, yeah. Jane told everybody about going into her nude room to meditate or spin in her chair. I never saw it, but I can imagine it. Is it as crazy as it sounds? Thinking about it brought a smile to Michael's face. Well, it made me dizzy, but that isn't too hard. And he felt a little relief, remembering that Ginger's boss, Stephen, had heard about the room, too. If everyone else knew, then Keith figured it wasn't gossip. So what's the story about Trevor? Looks like you can ask him yourself, said the bartender as he pointed to the door. He's coming in right now. Chapter 23 Trevor was back to his usual uniform of all black, jeans, t-shirt, and a hoodie, no dashiki. With his hands jammed into the front pockets of the sweatshirt, he was noticeably less animated than he was during the celebratory post-show appearance at the bar. Hey, Michael, he said as he sat down at the bar, a few stools down from Keith. Just a yingling, please. He sounded dejected. Sure thing, said the bartender. I'm really sorry to hear about your Aunt Jane. Yeah, me too. Trevor said thanks as Michael set the beer bottle down in front of him. He guzzled a quarter of it down and then pounded the bar with his fist. His mood had shifted quickly without warning and startled both Michael and Keith. I can't believe someone effing murdered her. Damn. Easy, buddy, said Michael with the authority that comes from being the owner. You know how she felt about swearing in here. Trevor closed his eyes and shook out his whole body as actors do before starting a scene, before opening his eyes and saying, yeah, I know. Sorry, Michael. This just has really thrown me. I just, I can't believe this is happening, that she's gone. I don't, I don't have any other relatives. Who the hell would want to murder her? Trevor was looking at Michael for answers and wasn't getting any. And then, as if he just noticed someone else was there, turned to Keith and recognized him. Hey, you're the guy that found her, right? It was more of an accusation than a question. He stood up and moved down the bar to sit next to Keith, making Keith a bit nervous. Keith understood that Trevor was angry, but was he unbalanced? Yeah, um, I'm the one, Trevor. I'm really sorry. Keith tried to make his voice call me. I, I didn't know your aunt well, but she seemed like an incredible lady. Trevor took a big swig of his beer. Yeah, she was. Here's to Aunt Jane. He raised his bottle high and then had another swig. Keith raised his glass, too, in Jane's honor. So what happened? Keith pointedly asked Keith. How'd you find her? Keith told him the basics of what he had told the police, the reporter, and Michael, absent the gory details, and then he asked Trevor the question he had been thinking about since leaving the station. Have the police spoken to you? Oh, yeah, just came from there, assholes. The bartender gave him a sharp look, warning him, Sorry, Michael, I'm a little upset here. Apparently, I'm their number one suspect. He poked himself in the chest hard. Keith wasn't surprised by this, but it got the bartender's attention. What? You've got to be kidding. No, Michael, I'm not. And yes, I will have another. Trevor sent the. Trevor set the empty bottle in front of him on the bar. Keith wasn't sure that another drink was such a good idea for the young man. His eyes were already glassy. Keith wondered if he hadn't been drinking before he came to the river room. Michael opened him another and asked, But they didn't arrest you? Trevor shook his head. No, not yet at least, but I'm not supposed to leave town and all that. Keith asked if it was Detective Henry who interviewed Trevor. Yeah, he was one of them. I talked to a whole bunch of them, but he's the one convinced that I stalked Jane to the bookstore and killed her to get my inheritance. Is that the guy you talked to? Keith said it was. 
He then asked Trevor if there were any other leads the detective had mentioned. He shook his head again. As far as I know, I'm it. I wear black all the time. I'm her only family. She's got a huge estate. Apparently no one other than me expecting a big payday had a reason to kill her. He paused to take a big drink. And I don't have an alibi. Then Trevor shrugged his shoulders in defeat. So where were you? Asked Michael. Home, asleep, alone. Rose was at work and I was sleeping one off, but I don't have any way to prove it. And I've got a record. Trevor was deflated. For what? Asked Keith. He wasn't surprised that Trevor had been in trouble before. He just hoped that it hadn't been anything violent. Trevor hesitated as he thought about it, then smiled. It wasn't a big deal. Some shoplifting when I was younger, and I got busted for pot once, and a DUI, which is why I don't drive anymore. Oh, man, sympathized the bartender. Yeah, I'm kind of screwed, said Trevor softly. But they don't have any other evidence, right? I mean, no weapon, no DNA, no witness, Keith asked. Well, you are the witness, Trevor said, poking Keith in the chest. Oh, right, but I didn't see you there. Well, I've got that going for me. Are you sure you didn't see anything or hear anything else? You were right there, man. He said this as if Keith was the one at fault. Was it an accusation? Keith was uncomfortable. Trevor had started to calm down before, but now he looked like he could get belligerent again. I, I know, said Keith. He had to be careful and keep calm. Trevor wasn't a big guy, but he was in great shape and intense. Keith needed to placate this angry young man. Believe me, I've been playing it over again and again in my head, trying to think of something, trying to remember anything else, and it, it just isn't there, but I'll keep trying, I promise. Keith's promise seemed to bring Trevor back from the edge. Yeah, you do that. Thanks. I know you're trying, I, and I'm sorry you had to find her. It sounded sincere. They both drank in silence for a minute, then Keith asked, Trevor, have any arrangements been made yet? Yeah, there's going to be a celebration of life service on Friday at the HMAC at 1. You should come. Trevor pronounced it HMAC. Depending on who you ask, the HMAC was the Harrisburg Midtown Arts Center, or it was the House of Music, Arts, and Culture, or it was Harrisburg's Music and Arts Center. No one's going to be able to agree. Whatever the letters stood for, HMAC was in a huge old house that had once been the Jewish Community Center and now featured a theater, a concert venue, bar, and restaurant, and lots of gallery space for local artists. Keith found the quality of the art just acceptable and the wait service quite poor at best, but loved the idea of a community center created around the arts. Still, Keith thought it an odd place for a funeral and said so. There won't be a funeral, Trevor said. She didn't want a church funeral and didn't want to be buried. She'll be cremated and sprinkled in the Susquehanna. That is whenever the cops release her body. He paused for a moment to think about what he had just said. Ugh, God, this is so awful. As he looked up as if to the heavens, Trevor noticed the time on the clock high behind the bar. Hey, I've got to get going to meet up with Rose. Michael, I'll tab out. Let me get it, Keith offered. It's the least I can do. Yeah? Hey, thanks. Trevor smiled as if nothing bad had ever happened to him. A free drink can do that sometimes. After Trevor left, Michael turned to Keith and said, That kid's a mess, and he still doesn't know he's not in the will, does he? Nope. Keith wondered what would happen when he found out. Chapter 24 Keith spent the next few days painting as much as possible, trying to lose himself and not think about the murder investigation. It wasn't easy. Jane's death had quickly consumed and changed Keith's life. 
Their new town didn't feel as cozy as it once had. On Friday, Ginger planned to use her lunch hour to go with Keith to the celebration of Jane's life. He met up with her at the China Cat Sunflowers, where she had been busy all morning, making floral arrangements for Jane's mourners. This may be the single busiest day the store has ever had, said Stephen flatly as he was fiddling with a calculator and looking at the register tape. A lot of people miss Jane. Are you coming with us? asked Keith. No, I hate funerals or celebrations of life or whatever, and I don't want to close the store down in case there are some last-minute orders for her. You two go ahead. Take your time. They left the store and were walking down third to the HMAC when Ginger said, You look nice. Keith was wearing his one good black suit with a white shirt and black tie. It had taken the better part of the morning to roll all the cat fur off of it. Thank you, he said as they passed by the Third Street bookstore. The scene of the crime, he muttered. Ginger gave him a sympathetic smile, then nodded towards the Broad Street Market across the road and asked Keith if he wouldn't mind picking up some fruit, stuff for salad and bread after the service. She added, and get yourself some lobster and oysters, too. The market consisted of two long historic buildings. The one that faced 3rd Street was called the Stone Building, and it held over two dozen vendors where you could buy food to eat there or to go. There were stands for Indian, Greek, Jamaican, African, barbecue, coffee, pierogies, pizza, burgers, and Keith's favorite, Korean. In just a few months, he had become addicted to their Jayuk Bokum, marinated pork stir-fry with kimchi and a red chili pepper paste served with rice. He'd get with just one pepper, which was plenty hot. But the man who worked the register would tease Keith every time and ask him if he wasn't sure that he didn't want three peppers. The second building at the market, directly behind the first one with a small plaza between them, was the brick building. It featured vendors selling fresh food to cook at home. Except for some household goods like paper towels, Keith and Ginger were able to get most of all their weekly groceries at the market. There was an Amish bakery, an Amish pretzel place, two Amish meat counters, an Amish deli, an Amish candy shop, and a couple of Amish produce stands. Needless to say, everything was very fresh and relatively inexpensive. There was also a fresh pasta stand, a farm-to-table organic stand with Ginger's favorite bread and cheeses, and a seafood stand run by a couple from Bar Harbor, Maine, who bought directly from their fishermen friends up there. Most weeks, they would have a variety of oysters along with small tubs of picked and cooked lobster claw ready to go. With Ginger being a vegetarian, meat or fish wasn't usually on the weekend shopping list. Keith got his share of meat when they ate out. However, being able to bring oysters and lobsters home now and then was hard for him to resist. He was already thinking about the melted butter sprinkled with old bay sauce that he would be dipping the claws in later while fighting off the advances of Ed and Hop, who surprisingly also loved lobster. The cats had no interest in the oysters. Keith knew what his wife was doing by suggesting he get some seafood. Thanks for trying to cheer me up. That's my job, Ginger sighed. You look really nice too, Keith finally said. His wife was wearing just a simple black cotton dress that fit her perfectly. She smiled at him. Thanks for noticing. They arrived at the HMAC just before one o'clock. Two ushers stood on the old building's rickety front porch, directing people through the door and to the large back room known as the kitchen and gallery bar where Jane's celebration was being held. The long wooden bar on the right side of the room was doing good business, despite the relatively early hour. The rest of the room was filled with tables and chairs scattered around the large open room's concrete floor. There were a few pinball machines and an open pool table. Interesting space for a few, I, I mean a celebration of life, said Ginger. By the time they arrived, a diverse group of about 100 people filled the chairs or stood nearby in small clusters. A microphone and speaker had been set up against the far wall next to an easel holding an oversized black and white photograph of Jane, which Keith was glad to see wasn't a nude. A smiling Jane looked to be about 50 in the photo. 
He wondered if it had been taken by her husband. The photograph was surrounded by dozens of floral arrangements that Ginger proudly told Keith she had made. She pointed to one with white Phalaenopsis orchids. Do you see that one? Then she poked her husband in the ribs. That one is from us. Keith tried not to think about what it had cost them, even with her discount. It's beautiful. Jane would have loved it. I know. Ginger smiled appreciatively. Thanks for doing that. Pretty much everyone Ginger and Keith had met in Harrisburg seemed to be there. Looking around the room, he picked out Trevor and Rose, Michael, Patience, Vito from Arturo's, Alicia from the members' gallery, a few dog walkers Keith recognized from their neighborhood, waiters and waitresses he recognized from local restaurants, people he had noticed at the Moonshine performance, and several of the people from the market, including the organic food hippies and the seafood couple. Keith also recognized the bald guy whose picture was always on the contents page of the local monthly news magazine, Midtown News, and wondered if he was there as a journalist or as a friend of Jane's. Keith figured the newspaper reporter Bobby Thorne was there too, but didn't know what he looked like. He'd have to look him up online sometime. There were a lot of other people Keith didn't recognize, most of them wearing black and looking artsy, plus a few dressed like bankers. As he surveyed the room, gathering impressions of all the people who were going to miss Jane, it crossed Keith's mind that whoever murdered her was probably in the room. He tried to shake off the morbid thought and focus on celebrating Jane's life. Trevor and Rose huddled with the two others from the moonshine performance, Ebb and Flo. They all had beer bottles in hand and seemed to be in a serious discussion. Keith and Ginger went over to them to pay their respects. When Trevor noticed them approaching, he broke out in a huge grin and shouted, Dude, I am so glad you're here. Thank you. He hugged Keith with gusto. As Keith extracted himself, he said, You're welcome. Trevor's eyes were glassy again. He was in a black suit with an open black shirt. Trevor gestured to his posse with his bottle. Everyone, this is Keith and uh, Ginger. His wife was being helpful, but Keith recognized annoyance in her tone. Right, Ginger. I'm so glad you're here, Trevor repeated. You guys know Rose, and this is Steph and Vince. Everyone said hello and insisted on hugging Keith and Ginger. It wasn't just Trevor whose eyes were glassy. Everyone seemed in very good spirits, especially Rose, most likely brought on by some heavy early drinking. Or maybe something else? The few times he met her, she seemed on as much of an emotional roller coaster as her fiancé was. After the introductions and condolences, Keith excused himself and Ginger to go get themselves a drink. Walking towards the bar out of earshot from the group, Ginger said, Well, you can get a drink if you want, but I have to go back to work after this. I'm not getting a drink. I just wanted to get away from that. And I totally understand, said his wife. They pivoted from the bar and were about to approach Michael, who was in conversation with a couple of the hippies, when a voice came over the loudspeaker. Please, everyone, if I could have your attention, we are about to begin, please. After a moment, the crowd settled down. Keith could now see the man at the microphone. He was regal in a black suit and sported white hair and a trim mustache. He looked like one of the bankers. He reminded Keith of the gentleman in one of his favorite paintings, Hopper's Hotel Lobby, and maybe just a bit of his Uncle Dan. Keith was certain that the man had been at the Moonshine performance. You've been listening to Episode 8 of Paint by Murders. Thanks to Pixabay.com for the music. Come back in a week for the next episode. If you'd like more information about the project or have comments you would like to share, please do so on the social media pages where you found this or email me at paintbymurders at gmail.com. I'm your host, narrator, and author, M. Travis Dinicola. Thanks for listening.